a.m. in tech online. JBA here and welcome to bonus episode 12 of diversity and mentorship in technology, where we continue the conversation about diversity, mentorship, careers, business in technology with our guest. Each bonus episode is tied to a show episode. So don't forget to check that out first if you haven't already done so. Now, one more time, it's time to reintroduce our guest, Andrew Phillips, and get into a deeper discussion regarding the topic of the week, desktop support. So, Andrew, are you ready to discuss in detail? Yes, I am. Awesome. So let's get into a little bit more in-depth discussion regarding desktop support. And, you know, sometimes if you're an organization, you look at the options in the cloud, and there's so many options out there to get support for your organization. A lot of times, you know, a listener or an entrepreneur may not realize as they grow, they need that support because they're used to getting cloud editions of Microsoft 365 or other, all the software that's purports itself as do it yourself when it's really not. So what things can entrepreneurs look out for when they're hiring desktop support? Well, you need someone on site to support your computer systems. You know, um, they're designed to fail. <laughs> so, you know, cause they're not humans anyway. So basically they crash. So you have hard drives that crash, hard, um, I have memory that dies. Someone can unintentionally unplug something and that's a big issue for them. Um, when it could be something simple that they did. But anyway, you need on-site support to support users that work in an office environment. You know, something's always bound to go wrong. It's never going to be perfect. So you need someone that's going to be there to support you, help you, guide you through it. You know, someone that has the technical know-how and knows how to um, deal with internal users or external users, whoever comes into the organization. So you definitely need that. You can't have your support, re- remote support all the time because something could go wrong inside your organization and you need someone there on site who knows how to resolve an issue pretty quickly. Interesting. I guess going deeper into that, say an organization is on the smaller side and maybe they can't staff a full-time resource. Is that when they would go to a company that provides maybe a dedicated person, maybe to a lesser extent from a cost perspective, on-site versus you know virtual if they couldn't afford to hire, you know, say a full-time employee uh, with benefits and all that good stuff? Yeah, I would suggest I'm hiring an outside firm who comes in maybe a couple of times out of the week or as an as-needed basis to support your computer. So it's beneficial to have someone there, you know, for a full eight hours if possible, because say a tech comes in, you know, 9 a.m., takes a problem, okay, they're out by 10. So maybe around 3 o'clock, someone else has a problem, and then they have to run back. So I'd say if you do have someone, make sure they're pretty local local enough to come back and forth. Otherwise, I would say if you really want to grow your organization, you have a little clout as far as spending, try to get someone that would be there full-time or maybe on a part-time basis as well. Maybe come in at 10 to 2 or something like that. Someone who's going to be there for the long, you know, long haul who understands the environment, the people, that kind of thing, rather than someone that comes in and out, fixes problems and leaves and, you know, just doesn't really connect with some of the users that need help sometimes. Got it. That makes sense. So having something who, somebody who is there more times than not uh, in local DMIT is definitely something you want to think about. And I guess also going into the topic of security, security is a big thing, right? You look at the Equifax breach and a few other things. How important is security and how can an organization really protect itself when you don't know, you know, if you're not, if you're outsourcing it to a firm, you really don't know what's going on. You don't know when you're breached, when you're not breached. How can, from a security perspective, can 
firms protect themselves from your experience? I think starting simple. So uh, simple as locking your computer when you walk away from it. Uh, having a setting by desktop support to say lock your computer screen after five or 10 minutes or whatever. If you're really that <laughs> strategic, you can say lock it down after one minute or something like that. Don't share your passwords with anyone inside your department unless it's IT because they can manage all passwords. Don't do that. Don't leave your password under your desk where someone can easily get to it. Like after hours or something, a cleaning crew, you never know. They come through and they see uh, your slip of if your password to get in, they can get in easily like that. So one good way to protect your password is lastpass.com. So you can store all your passwords inside there, mainly for websites and such, where it's like a vault of all your passwords. So you don't have to worry about logging in every time. They're all secure. They're all safe there. So that is one way of looking at security on the simple side. On the bigger side, security, that's more like what an IT security admin will do, like how to block any activity coming into your organization. So running different tools, vulnerability tools, um, that kind of thing blocking certain access to websites, that kind of thing. So, so those are some of the things in security that um, an organization can look at. And that's great. I know LastPass was something we mentioned previously on another episode and storing all your passwords sometimes, you know, in one location is pretty convenient. And, you know, just be careful, right? Use common sense when it comes to mm-hmm. passwords. Testing 123 yeah. or admin 123, anything with 123 in yeah. a sequential sequence is, yeah. is uh, generally not, not recommended. So that's some really, really great advice. Uh, in terms of mm-hmm. overall enterprise desktop support, do you ever run into a situation where an organization has different departments with different needs and therefore the organizational structure from a, a IT perspective may be harder to manage. What do you recommend if you're an IT, you know, for other IT professionals who are managing a larger organization where there's 20 departments all have different needs and there really is no coordination or agreement into the IT policies? Who sets the IT policy and how does that portend to the organization that maybe is a little larger and, and has different needs for different departments? Okay, so that kind of ties into um, being an expert at computer imaging. So if you got 20 departments with 20 different needs, that's challenging, very challenging. So what's great about computer imaging is you can have what we call, we call it like a true, a golden image. So basically this image is can be used for everybody in the organization, just the basics that they need. So I encourage anyone to, who's learning or how to do computer imaging or who's in it, don't know how to get around it, have a true golden image where they use all the baseline apps that everyone's going to get. So after that, you start building per department. So you got your accounting department, they need this, they need that. You got your marketing, they need this. You got your legal department. You know, these are different departments within an organization that have different needs. So I would say meet with team leaders in all these departments, ask them what their needs are, build out accordingly to what their needs are. And then over time, keep refining that process over and over again so you have a perfect model for each department. Got it. That makes sense. And one thing I want to talk about is budget cost. A lot of entrepreneurs at DMIT are always concerned about pricing and, and cost and anything in any IT industry. Sometimes it can seem like the Wild West because you don't know what costs are. You try to hire a developer, you know, you get very, very different prices depending on the technology vendor. And some industries are like that, but I find that IT is less consolidated. So prices can vary mm-hmm. on the map. When it comes to IT infrastructure and support in general, do you recommend 
companies try to budget as they go? Or is it something where they should budget on a quarterly basis because there are going to be changes over the year? What would you recommend for as technology improves and efficiencies improve? How do you recommend budgets? How do you do the budgeting process for IT? I'd say for someone like a small company, kind of, you know, budget as you go along because you don't know. You're kind of trying a lot of things, different vendors or whatnot. You're not really sure what's going to stick. So I think keep trying it until you find vendors you're comfortable with and you can continue to grow with that. If you're already in a bigger organization and need some help, I would say kind of budget it, you know, see what you have in place right now. If it's working for you, great. But if it's not working for you, you need to put those resources towards another vendor. So say end of this year, you have your, for example, computer imaging company is not meeting your needs. You can say in 2018, you were going with someone else. Maybe it's a little bit more, but it's going to meet our needs. So I'd say those are the two ways you can handle that. What do you like in terms of the operating system, Linux, Windows, and uh, let's say an OS operating system? What's your preferred operating system to work with and why? I would say Windows, just the easeability and familiarity that I know, that I know that I've been operating for so many years on. Uh, Linux, it's a different ball game. Uh, <laughs> I've played with it a little bit. I'm not expert in it at all. So, but I know with Linux, once you get up and working, it's a very solid system compared to Windows, where if, if you don't patch it up properly, it can fail. So it's kind of really what what interests you, you know, as far as what operation you're comfortable with and, you know, what kind of systems you feel comfortable supporting going forward. So for me, it's Windows. And is that something that would come from the IT side? And as I say this, because most entrepreneurs going into it may not know as the organization grows, they only know Windows because Windows is such a, a big brand name where, oh, it's Windows desktop where it's a little different on the server side. It's not necessarily the same desktop when it comes to IC support, if I'm not mistaken. And how does someone assess if they Google desktop support, you know, Linux, Windows, um, you know, is it something that they, from a pricing perspective, would be surprised to know that you actually have to have licenses for Windows or what's your take on that or your experience there? Yeah, so you, you do need licenses with Microsoft. That's you know, how to make their money through licensing. So that's very important because when you actually you're, if you want to build out like a server farm, that kind of thing, you'll need a good amount of licenses from Microsoft. And, you know, it's not it's not cheap these days. So you got to consider that. Now, if you want to build like websites and things like that, interested in programming, you want the Linux system. And that's, that's a little more expensive I've seen at times. But it's one of the things where it's solid. Once you got it working properly, it's a very solid system with a very, you know, a little less, I'll say not little maintenance, but less maintenance than it would be to manage a Windows environment. So it may cost a little bit more, but you get more peace of mind as far as be more stable. So, you know, those are things to consider with, uh, you know, Linux and not Windows, that kind of thing. Yeah, DMIT, definitely stability is very, very important. You know, and I think that overall, Andrew and I both, uh, at least I didn't know I wanted to get into IT till later in life. So, but in general, if you're trying to get into the industry, there's some really great resources. And Andrew, just want to share with our listeners in the bonus episode, what's one resource that you can point listeners to URL or that they can really get some hands-on knowledge or your favorite resource rather for information? Okay. Well, this is a good track if anyone's interested in certifications. So the website I've gone to to get certifications from is professormesser.com. So that's E-R-O-F-E-S-S-O-R-M-E 
S S E R dot com. So he's like he can be your private tutor basically. So if you want to learn your A plus certification to work on desktop support, he'll guide you through each topic on how the test is going to be structured, that kind of thing. He also has, I believe, a Linux certification. He also has network security, but network certification classes, security certification classes. So a whole gamut of classes you can um, get into whatever you're interested in. So that's one great site. I'm trying to think of some other ones I use. Um, I know one called maketecheasier.com. You can Google that as well. And this gives you different tips on um, how to make tech easier for you. You know, if you have issues with things, you know, it gives you good tips, advice, how to do things. And lastly, I'll give you one. It's called howtogeek.com. That's another one. Like I, a lot of times I go there and if I don't know something, I'll go there. It'll have some ideas on how to, you know, simple things like how to make your know, display on your screen come up or whatever, or how to improve your stability in your current computer, that kind of thing. So, you know, these are all great websites to go to where you can definitely figure out what you want to do and grow your skill set and figure out, um, you know, what uh, industry you want to get into eventually. Awesome resources, DMIT. So howtogeek.com, very familiar with that one. Maketecheasier.com was another one. And Professor Messer, which I've never heard of, but I'm going to check it out after the show, professormesser.com. Andrew, I want to thank you again for providing such tremendous value to our listeners, and we'll talk to you later. Okay, thank you for having me on.